So today on the podcast, we have Daryl Timmers. Daryl's a good buddy of mine. He's a national go-kart champ. He runs a large karting team, and he's the host of Another Race Weekend, an F1 podcast. But before we jump in, please like, subscribe, and rate the podcast. It helps a lot. When did we first meet? I'm going to say, oh, four, five, six, something like that. When did you start racing? Oh, oh, I started racing go-karts at Waterloo in 2000. In 2000, but you didn't start running Goodwood Fellows, stuff like that. Until 05. Yeah, so it would be that 05, yeah, when yeah. Ian was working with you guys. Yeah. That's when we met. Right, right, right. <laughs> Which, no, that was later. That would have been later. So we've definitely met earlier probably yeah. at, at Lawn Shop. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. With, with Aaron probably. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. Because I know he, you guys, yeah, because you guys were were wakeboarding in the in the river and stuff like that. That's what it would at be. that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so funny. We told someone the other day that we used to wakeboard in the creek behind the house, and they like looked at me like I had three eyes. And it's like an inch deep. Yeah, we put a winch on the bridge <laughs> and full scented. And when you fall, yeah, you hit rocks. But who cares? It was fun times. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, so we met because you. So you were working for uh, Lon yeah. as his full time go kart mechanic. Yeah, but I want to go back and because um, last time we spoke unofficially. Yeah, this is the official time. Yeah, I want to get your whole career story. Yeah. Um, when did you get into racing, and what brought that about? Um, well, my parents used to do the timing and scoring for CTA, which is Canadian Timing Association. I don't even think it exists anymore, um, but they did majority of the timing and stuff for all everything at Mosport. So like when Trans Am, the Players Series, all that stuff used to come around, they would do the timing and scoring. So we used to have access to Mosport and I was there since I was six months old. So I actually had a babysitter that was in turn nine, turn eight and nine that I used to just yeah, be at the racetrack. Like I, some of my earliest memories is looking over eight and nine, you know, at most port, at most port. My, they were on the inside of nine, not the outside of nine. And, uh, yeah, that was before the bridge was, you know, the ton, the good tunnel was put in. So yeah. we used to hang out on that big steep hill and just go play or whatever. And yeah, that's where I, I initially started the motorsports bug. So you grew up at the, what got your parents into the timing and scoring? To be honest, uh, my parents are from the Caribbean. So I don't know. My parents... From Guyana. Yeah, they're from Guyana. Yeah. So um, they met in Canada. Um, my dad did some small things with bikes, nothing crazy. Um, yeah, and I think uh, some of his friends from Guyana were racing there, um, like Ian Phillips, Dave Diedrich, uh, a couple... We're racing down in yeah, Guyana? Yeah, they, they okay. used to race in Guyana and okay. stuff like that. So when they came up here, my dad knew them. And then he just started to go to the track and he's like, Hey, I can be at the track for free. Yep. Get all the passes and stuff just by working with CTA. So I think that's how my parents started doing it. And, um, yeah, then from that point on, I was just always at the racetrack and, uh, my dad started ice racing, doing some stuff like that up in Minden, which still exists, which is pretty cool. I could see, I have a bunch of old photos of sitting on the banks of Minden as well. And then, um, when I was, 11, 12, my, uh, my dad's friend was racing carts at the time. Okay. And, um, he asked, he's like, Hey, bring Daryl out and let him see if he likes it. And that's all she wrote. <laughs> what track was that at? Goodwood. At it was Goodwood. at Goodwood. So the first go-kart track I went to was at Goodwood. Um, we did go to whippy cartways and stuff like that. Yep. Um, but my first like club that I was part of was Goodwood. So you got, your dad bought a go-kart right away? Yeah, uh, I, he bought it over that winter. 
Um, cause my, my dad's friend was running Swiss hotlists with KT 100s and stuff like that. And that was like probably a little bit too much for me to jump into at that point <laughs> at 11 years old. So, uh, we ended up buying, a an old Burrell, um, Honda at the time. Yep. Um, I raced that for two years. I did a season at, um, at Goodwood and then I ended up going to Sutton for one of the seasons. And then after that, I went back to TKC and I jumped on a Sodi cart when uh, Daryl Mueller was running everything. Um, they were kind of the carts to be on at the time. And then, um, yeah, I raced at, Mo at Goodwood for the longest time with uh, the Sodi stuff. And then when the Sodi stuff folded, um, I ended up meeting Lon and we started racing with Lon. And that's when I, you know, all the rest of the history came around. So he, uh, did Lon own the track at that time? Yeah, he did. So yeah. it was him and DeLeo's were owning it at the time. Right. Um, when I first got there, it was that Mario guy. Um, I can't remember his last name. Old crazy dude. <laughs> yeah, I remember he had a rental cart that was a two-speed rental that was keeping, it was faster than half the, the two strokes out there. And he's out there, no helmet, ripping this thing. And I'm like, that guy's crazy. <laughs> what is wrong with that guy? But uh, yeah, it was it was good times. Like, um, you know, being able to, to be at the track so much and have, you know, the majority of my, my close friends are from the from the yeah. cart and facility now. And uh, and yeah, it's, it's... So so you, when you're like, you're growing up and it's like almost every weekend, you yeah. must be at the track just yep. hanging out. Was there a time like maybe five, six, seven years old when you were like, hey, I want to be a race car driver? Yeah. And what cars did it for you? Um, the old, honestly, the old F1s, but I was a big IndyCar fan. My okay. parents also did the timing and scoring for IndyCar. At the Toronto Indy? Yeah, Toronto Indy. We went to Cleveland when I was at the airport, Detroit. Um, we went to Michigan once. My parents didn't like doing the timing on ovals because it was kind of boring sitting there every yep. 30 seconds pushing a button. Sure. Um, yeah, we, mid Ohio, uh, we did a bunch of the, the so you northern. traveled some cool tracks. Yeah. Like I used to have an ac all access pass when I was like 11. And I would be walking through the paddock, walking through the pits. I would like... And this is the mid-late 90s? Yeah. This is late 90s, early... Yeah. I would say from... I was at the very first Toronto Indy. So that was 91, I believe. 91, I think yeah. you're right. I think I've got a t-shirt Yeah, my dad. It was 91. So yeah, I was at the very first one and um, I didn't miss one until I was in racing and I couldn't get there. So, um, you know, being able to, you know like people like Greg Moore and Paul Tracy and stuff was the, my era of growing up and the, the champ car cart days where yep. IndyCar was proper and those cars were, were badass in the end. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I followed IndyCar way, way closer than I did F1. I did watch F1. Obviously I was a big F1 fan, but I was way more of a, an IndyCar guy just because I was always around it. I was, I had a lot more access to it. It was, uh, it was cool being able to, you know, walk into the, the paddock where all the drivers have their RVs and I'm just walking up and down. And one of the funny stories I have when I was a kid, um, uh, I was like, I was a Paul Tracy fan growing up and same with the Greg Moore fan. And I was sitting outside, uh, Paul Tracy's RV yeah. and I, like, I looked up and in his window, I saw him and he jumped into the ground and I was like, oh. Well, that's Paul, obviously. And he just stood up and he put his head up a little bit more and then dropped back to the ground. And I was just like laughing outside as like a 10 year old. He was messing with you. Yeah, he was messing with me the whole time. And then he finally came out and he's like, how long did you see me? I'm like, I think from the beginning, I don't know. You were doing that for like five to 10 minutes. He's like, yeah, okay, I get a little cool. Yeah. He's like, here, what do you want? You want an autograph? I'm like, sure, why not? <laughs> that's great. So it was just like really cool to have access like that. And, and you know, I was, uh, 
it's yeah it's just a, a whole different world to grow up in and and be around you know and i didn't really think about carding or know really about the carding side of things until my dad's friend was like hey like he's really involved in cars yeah. and loves it why don't you try to get him involved in this and then I kind of wished I got involved earlier. <laughs> right, right. Because by today's standards, 11 or 12 is old. Old. Yeah. Very old. Yeah. You uh, should be making the jump to cars like the following year. Yeah, within like 13, 14, you're starting to get into cars and think about it. And and back then it was like, you know, seeing a 16-year-old in a car was like, oh my God, what, right. what's going on, right? But um, So you you you're car, you card at the like the club level. Yep. And it takes a couple years for you to have success, or are you like one of those kids who's like just quick out of the box? Uh, no, it took me a couple of years to get going because everyone else had already been running. Yeah, and like I was racing against, uh, I don't know if you remember the Eberschlags and um, oh Dan uh, Dan McMullen, yeah, and uh, a couple of the other guys that were already like well into it, like Lon and well, yeah. Kyle Herter and the Deleos that owned the track. I was racing against them and. You know, fast were, group of guys. Yeah, fast group of guys. So yeah. it made my learning curve a little bit harsher. But, you know, yeah. when I finally got that first win, it was like, holy crap, like this is happening. And I ended up winning and getting, you know, it wasn't the first and it wasn't the last. Well, it was first, but it wasn't the last to say the least. Yeah. And, and, you know, I had a pretty successful karting career that, you know, ended up being uh, a full-time career in the end. So then, so you're, you're, um, you're running at good at goodwood yeah and you go to work for lawn kind of during that time at like a, he lawns the the gold cart importer at yep. that time and running the track is that to is that like him saying hey like recognize you you'll be a good guy you hang around here a lot and like we can you can work for me and we'll help you out is that a factor of you trying to be more competitive yeah um you know it was kind of weird because i started to be I guess a front runner. I, I hate mm -hmm. to say it like that, but yeah, like a front runner. Um, right before, um, like last couple of years of high school, going into college, and I ended up taking a year off because of college. Sure. And you know, I, I did one or two races in the season, just what I could fit in. And um, then when I got back out of college, lots when Lon's like, "Hey, what are you what are you doing now?" Like, I know you you're you're not racing as much, but do you want to come work for me? And then we can put you back in a cart and. We can get you going. I can help you out with that. You can come work, uh, run my dyno, run the cart shop and stuff like that. And we can kind of mm. work together to make this a little okay. bit bigger. Um, Aaron was working with them at the time too. And Aaron was just getting into some other job and stuff like that. So myself and Aaron were working there. And then I just branched off to, to be the guy that worked at Lawn and ended up running his dyno for about three, four years. Yep. So um, is that where you learned like proper yeah, how to yeah. do everything? I really... When we were growing up, it was me and my dad. Yeah. I really didn't know what was going on with the cart. Like, I just drove it. Yeah. Like, like you, we didn't know what we were no, doing. No. We just did it. Dude, like, my dad thought old tires were better. Yeah, when we exactly. First started running. And now we look at it like, no, it's probably because we just didn't know how to drive a new tire. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was one of those things that, yeah, I learned a lot more. And uh, when I started to work on the carts and actually get behind the scenes a lot more. And to be honest, I look back and I wish... I, I knew what I knew then. I guess I knew what I knew now back then because yeah. I would understand a lot more what was happening with the carts and why and what I can do to make it better. But we just, that's that's the difference between this age driver and the drivers like us that were back in the day. We just did it. like Yeah, coming out of the history where it was a hobby. Yeah. It's funny, I had uh, Ron Fellows 
was the first guest on yeah. and he was talking about when he got into karting yeah. at Georgetown at North Halton. Oh, wow. And I told him actually it was a funny story. He's like, yeah, it was, yeah, North Halton Kart Club. And I said, you know, we're on the same street as the track, right? I didn't know that. like, what? Yeah, no, <laughs> fifth <cool>. line. <laughs> and I found it on Google Maps. Um, That's cool. I didn't know that. But so he was describing karting as like more of like an, like a, a grown man's thing to yeah. like tinker with. Yeah. Kind of like a, like, like they were running alcohol. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And we kind of got into karting, I guess, when it was coming out of that yeah, kind of lineage or whatever. Exactly. And then into like a defined stepping stone to become a pro race car yeah. driver. Yeah. 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 And, and then I just look at it now as, you know, the stuff we try to teach these kids how to do. We didn't have that. Like our, my, my job now did not exist 15, 20 years ago. Like when right. we were coming up, there was no karting coaches. There was well, explain no... what your job is now, what, oh. you, what your company is. So um, I, we run a karting facility. Uh, we run most sports karting facility, but uh, we also have a karting team um, that we have about 25, 30 kids that we, um, we train and uh, kind of, you know, transition them from go-karts to cars if that's the route they're going. Some of the kids just want to be in carts mm-hmm. for, you know, as long as they can. And we, uh, we support them and develop their skills throughout our team and throughout the national level to the international level. Um, we also uh, have first steps, you know, like we have baby carts right. that are, you know, it's crazy to say, but four to seven year olds are in them. Well, you can take uh, my wife, Lauren. She's yeah. at five foot even. So you can yeah, put yeah, her in perfect. a baby car. We'll put her in a baby car. We'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so are you guys, are you guys, uh, you're the importer for Charles Leclerc? Well, uh, for Ontario, yes. Okay, yeah. for Ontario. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we're one of the, I would say in Canada, we were probably one of the bigger distributors of the Charles Leclerc cart, which is built by Burrell Art. Yeah. Um, it's just one of the branded carts of Burrell. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of cool having that history of my very first go-kart was a Burrell. And then yeah. now I'm all of a sudden selling these things and, and our team's running off of them. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool to see the transition. But yeah, you're saying what you do wasn't around. No. No, there was no such thing as a karting coach. There was no such thing as, as, a, as like there was mechanics, but it was just like, okay, well make sure my, my, my go-kart doesn't stay together. Yeah. My, my go-kart stays together. Yeah. It doesn't fall apart. Um, there was no big teams really. Like right. if you think about it, like, yeah, there was, there was distributors that had people that, but we just pitted around each other. Sure. It wasn't like there was one massive tent that everyone was underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always like, okay, well, this is the carts and parts area. So just park a trailer in this kind of area. And we all just worked around each other where now it's, you know, we have big tents, big trailers, big, all that stuff, the big, the big show. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's a lot different world to think that, uh, all these kids are being kind of spoon fed the information instead of having to figure it out yeah, the hard way. Exactly. Like yeah. with us, we yeah. just, we, our parents didn't know what they were coaching us to do. They just said, go faster. <laughs> oh man. I'm, like so many, so many stories where my dad heard a tidbit of good information yeah. and then tried it. Like we we're running and th- this was before the plastic rear bumpers. Yeah, yeah. And, and he got told, dude, you got to have that thing loose. It's yeah. got to wiggle. So he's in there and it falls off. Yeah. It falls off for <laughs> the race. Us, I'm getting black flagged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stuff like that, right? And we, yes, it has to be loose, but not ready to fall off. <laughs> Come on, PK. <laughs> uh, uh, that's no, good. it's, but it's, honestly, I look at the kids now and it's kind of, I'm starting to take steps back for how much information we give them. Sure. Just because, like we say, like these kids don't know how to learn something on their own anymore. They mm. need to be, like drilled into their head, do this, do this, do this, do this, where 
when we grew up racing, it was like, here's the go-kart, drive it. And you kind of feel, yeah, feel, you feel the it difference. Out and what we had, like, if you think about the, the data that we have now with oh, it's kids, it's, it's unreal. Like when we were racing, we had a, a, a max RPM reading, not even yeah. like a, a live reading. It was a max <laughs> RPM yeah. reading. And it's like, well, yeah, my gear could be a little bit shorter or a little <laughs> bit longer or whatever. And you know, the data alone that these kids have, I would, I would kill to have that when I was a kid. Yeah. Like it literally, there's no way to hide anymore. The data mm. shows it that you're doing this. Like literally it's right there. You are doing this. But it's a good tool to speed up the process. Oh yes. hundred percent. And kids get there a lot quicker now. Yes. A lot, yeah. a lot faster to get to the pointy end of the field where, you know, it might take us three, four years to, to get that, that extreme feel of the go-kart to actually start being up front where these kids, you know, after a season or two of being told no, you're doing it this way, you have to do it this way and fixing all of their small things over and over again and having the coaches like us are, are definitely accelerating the process a little bit more. So you've taken, um, well, I mean, you're kind of your first steps into, into, uh, starting your own business. What you're doing now is working with Dalton Kellett. Yes. Who work, who runs IndyCar now. Yes, he does. Second year in IndyCar for AJ Foyt. Yes. So you've kind of, Tell me about that process because you kind of went along for the entire ride in his yeah. career, almost all the way up to IndyCar. Yeah, um, we or close. So what we did was um, he was he actually walked into Lon's place, and um, you know Mark was the type of guy that was just like, yeah, I'd prefer you know someone else to take care of everything. I'm not a guy to to get hands on really all yep. the time. Um, so we kind of put a deal together that I would start coaching Dalton and doing everything for them. I was still working for Lon at the time. Mm -hmm. And then after a year, uh, we just kind of said, you know what, I'll go f full time with Dalton. And um, I ended up stopped working for Lon at the time. We were still using the gold carts and all of Lon's stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I started working with Dalton when he was 13, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. And then um, we worked, uh, yeah, we did karting for about four to five years. Um, we, like from his first day in a go-kart that we did six hours in the rain, that was the very first day that we actually <laughs> did. It was just funny. That was uh, how it all worked out. But uh, yeah, we, we transitioned him from uh, a four-stroke driver all the way up to having a shifter in the end. And, and then I transitioned him into cars. So uh, we went to 1600 route and then um, I kind of managed his car career going up into the road to Indy and USF and stuff like that. And then, um, I had some opportunities to kind of branch off and kind of expand my company more instead yep. of concentrating on one driver. I was able to, to bring on a bunch more and, uh, yeah, we, we, we still friends to this day. Like I yeah. talked to, I talked to him last week. Um, you know, we we're, he was at my wedding. Yeah. <laughs> so he's just, yeah, we were, me and Dalton are really close and, uh, it was cool to see a kid that was pretty much scared to step on the gas the first day to, you know, winning Florida winter tour races, which was a huge thing back in the day. Totally. And, um, you know, and, and starting and starting karting at the same age you did. Yeah. Late, late. And he yeah. started later. He was, he was like almost 14, 13, 14 yeah. by the time he actually got a full season of racing. And, um, we did some testing, you know, in the October time mm. for before his first season, but it was nothing crazy. It was more, uh, yeah, I believe he started at 14, like hmm. actually racing. And then he didn't get into cars until he was probably 18. Right. Which, you know, again, it's, it's, it's late. late. Yeah. 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 So you go, so you took a year off, uh, during 
college. Yeah. What'd you take at college? Uh, automotive products design. So like 3D CAD modeling and okay. stuff like that for the automotive So you industry. wanted to be, you always knew you wanted to be yeah. in a race shop or at the track or kind of have your foot yeah. I did my, my co-ops at Multimatic. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was fun. Uh, yeah. Different part of, of my life. Definitely um, kind of realized, you know, yeah, sitting behind a desk would be all right playing with, you know, CAD modeling and stuff like that. But I just uh, looked at it as, you know, am I going to be happy my whole life doing this? Sure. And I had something that I was starting already in the background that was kind of working out. So I just decided to go that route. And I, you know, I use it every once in a while with 3D printing and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that, but nothing, nothing too crazy. No, for sure. Now you could pay a 13 year old kid. Yeah, to do it. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you, um, did you, did you still have aspirations or did you ever really, really have like, solid aspirations to be a pro race car driver? Yeah. When I was younger, I definitely, uh, when people ask me what I wanted to do, I, you know, I always said I wanted to be a race car driver. I tried to, once I was in, um, college, I was, I was also running in cars at the time in GT sprints in Canada. And then I tell was, me about that. How did that come about? It, um, it was actually Dave Diedrich, um, a Mazdi's performance. Um, he was running the Nissan Sentra series at that time. Like yeah, okay. he, uh, he was actually one of the owners of it. And, um, Ian, which was one of my dad's, Ian Phillips was one of my dad's friends, uh, was racing for Dave at the time. Um, he knew, I guess, about me from karting and stuff like that. And my dad and him started to chat a little bit more and, uh, I ended up jumping into cars with him. Um, it was really cool at that time because there was, you know, 15, 20 guys in the same spec car. Yeah. And when I was racing, I, I didn't finish off the podium when I did the, to the year and a half with them. And it wasn't like it was a full season. It was just like, okay, I can afford to do this one. I'm going to do this one. I'm going to do this one. And then me and Dave create, like uh, developed a really good relationship after that. Um, I guess he had faith that I was pretty quick. So he was willing to help me out and get me into a car. And whenever he had a gentleman racer that was doing endurance races, he would call me up and kind of put me in the car with him. Cool. Um, so I got to do a couple of really cool events like the 13 hours of VIR and uh, uh, the Daytona race. There's a bunch of random good, cool events I did. I ended up doing a couple of Grand Am events with them as well because they ended up building uh, Nissan Sentra S, uh, S, what was it? The SER or SVR? Okay. Whatever. No, the, the Spec V. Spec V, yeah. The Spec yeah, V Sentras. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the thing was, this thing sounded like a V8 when you started it up. It was, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, it and was what a, year is this? Like 05? This was when I finally got, did the Grand Am stuff. I'm going to say 07, 08. Okay. Yeah. 07 or 08. Yep. Um, when I actually, you know, started to do that stuff. And then as the time and hit, that was middle of the recession. There wasn't really uh, a... a company out there that wasn't hurting and yep. didn't have any extra cash to start sponsoring stuff. And I had some small sponsors here and there, but nothing came to uh, You need fruition. that big piece yeah. to go racing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and when I was working with Dalton, I was still doing that at the same time. And right. it just kind of started getting older and looking at, you know, what could be better for the future. Obviously I would love to be racing and doing all that stuff. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of friends that went that route and got to that route and Hey, it's awesome. I, you know, support them all the way through. And with me, it was just, uh, you know, I kind of started to realize that I wasn't going to be that guy that, you know, 
out of nowhere gets a huge sponsor sure. and, and was able to do it because our, my parents weren't financially able to do it. Yep. Um, and every race I did, it was a sponsor was putting up the money or Dave helped me out and gave me like a ride for like 1500 bucks, like, yeah. <laughs> like something ridiculously cheap. Um, so, you know, I still dabbled in stuff with Dave whenever he needed me, but, uh, I just kind of focused on my career instead of, you know, the training aspect and the coaching aspect, which I really enjoy, uh, working with these kids and stuff like that. So. How many guys, what's your biggest group of carters under your tent that you've had so we've far? We've had, I'm going to say the biggest one was probably 28 drivers that That's we had to insane. take care of. Yeah, it was, it was exactly that word, insane. <laughs> You're, I, I always joke with our team now that I, I wish I told everyone my name was Bill so that I don't hear Daryl, 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 Daryl all day long. And um, yeah. Daryl, what gear should I yeah, run? Yeah, the, the number one question I get, and it's so annoying, is when it's it's starting to rain a little bit or be dry and they're like, wets or dries? And it's like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> we haven't even got on track yet. And it's like, well, what do you think? What? Well, it's wet out there. So I'm assuming wets. Like, <laughs> it's the number one question. That's wets or dries? Wets or dries? And it's just like, oh my gosh. That's a tough uh, call to make. Yeah, it is. But it's also like, you know, if it's raining right now, we should probably have wets on. Yeah. But they can't just make that decision on their own. And it's like, so you have 28 people walking up to you going, what's a drive? What's a drive? What's a drive? And it's like, everyone, we are going what's this session. And then the next session, it could start drying out. So you're like, okay, well, we're going to slowly start transitioning the dries. And then it's just funny. It's, it's That's cool. good taking guys through that whole learning process. Yeah. That must be fun. Like it, it must be rewarding. It is. You know, um, we had a kid, uh, Anthony Martella. Well, we have a kid that races for us, Anthony Martella. And um, same thing, his first day in a go-kart seconds i mean 10 seconds 11 seconds off the pace sure. wouldn't touch the gas wouldn't do anything so we worked at it his dad really wanted him in racing uh, he really wanted it he had the drive to do it he was at the racetrack two three times a week we were pushing him really hard um by the end of his first season he ended up putting it on pole for the very first very last round of fellows mm. which was like holy crap where'd that come from and then last year which was the second year of racing he ended up winning the canadian nationals so no way yeah second year of racing second year of racing national so, champion yep national champion he's honestly he's he's got a drive to him um you know and but situations like that is what makes me want to show up to a racetrack on yeah. Sunday. It's um, find the next hot kid. Yeah, finding that kid, or just even you know, even if they don't want to be a race car driver, just seeing the transition from being uh, timid, you know, timid, or that kid that's like being lapped in his first event mm -hmm. and stuff like that, to winning the Canadian Nationals within a year and a half. Yep, it just kind of gives you faith in our program a little bit more, you know, and and seeing that uh, hard work does pay off. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, so. You, uh, hang on, let me back this question up. You, you're the biggest race of your career. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that. Cause I think I know exactly yeah, what it is. I think everyone knows that one. <laughs> um, I would, well, I, I decided to race in the 2017 Canadian nationals. Yep. Um, I, I decided on the Thursday and I literally built the cart the Thursday and everyone just threw everything on together. And it was just like, okay, let's do this. Why not? I haven't raced in, I don't know how long all the kids that I've trained, you know, it's starting to get to that part where they haven't seen you in a cart and they're like, do you really know what you're doing? Yeah. You know? Like they're always like, Oh, I haven't even seen you race. And it's like, yeah, because I'm also triple your age. That's why <laughs> you haven't seen me race, but, uh, decided to jump into it for the nationals. Um, 
yeah, it was uh, one of those weekends where uh, I actually had bought an engagement ring for my my girlfriend at the time, which was my wife now. And uh, I just so happened it was the, my jeweler was one of our clients and she brought the ring that weekend just because it was done. And yeah, I, like no plan whatsoever. Just like, I'll figure out what I'm going to do with this thing, but at least I have it now. And um, a couple of my good buddies, uh, Trevor Wickens, uh, Curtis, well, my colleague and Mark Steele, we were sitting around and they're like, so if you win this weekend, well, you, you have the ring, like you're doing this. And I'm like, ah, whatever, sure. If I win, no problem, I'll do it. Right. And um, so I was racing against Mark on the track at that time and uh, sure as shit, I won. I ended up taking the win on two laps to go, no, the last lap pass. It was a last lap. Didn't lead a, a lap all weekend nice. except for the one that counted. And um, it's actually on YouTube. <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, I was on the cool down lap and I was like, I was obviously super happy to win the Canadian Nationals. And then and you got nervous. And then, no, Mark <laughs> reminded me. Mark pulled on the up cool this, down lap. on the cool down lap. It's in the YouTube video. You see Mark come up to me and he's like, you know what you're having doing right now, right? You're doing it. You're doing it. Uh, I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I guess I'm doing this. <laughs> so um, I ended up, uh, yeah, on the podium, called my girlfriend up after getting the, the championship uh, trophy and having a chat with Paul Cook. Um, brought her up and uh, dropped the question on one knee and yeah, the rest is history. We got That's married good. two years later. So it, so was, good. it was one of those weekends, one of those days that it's unforgettable. That's yep. for sure. It was, you know, I have a, a lot of wins and a lot of cool ones that I'm, I'm super stoked about, but I, that's gotta that's be the good, pinnacle. That's it. That's it right there. That, that topped it, topped the yeah. most. <laughs> that's good. So speaking of cool races that you've done, I wasn't, I didn't know you guys at the time. This was probably like 2002 or three. You guys put together an ice race at Aaron's <laughs> Aaron pond, Aaron's pond. parents' pond. Yes. Yeah, it was because uh, I, dude, I had I had a subscription to uh, Inside, Inside Carding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I saw this like article, and it was like, <laughs> oh, this is sick. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it was a kind of a spur of the moment thing. Uh, just studded some tires and had at it, and yeah. uh, good times to say the least. And we ended up actually doing another one up in Minden. Um, between we we brought four carts up yeah. just because we were racing cars on ice at the time. And we're like, let's bring this go-kart out. So we studded, um, we studded a, a set of tires, well, four sets of tires, had four go-karts and kind of did the same thing. Like it's honestly, go-karts on, on ice is a whole new thing because of the studs. You don't have enough power to over, like you don't have enough to horsepower break, to, break to, to break traction, to break traction on the studs. Yeah. So really and truly you don't need a break. You just throw the cart sideways and it just goes and slows it right back down. Right. Cause so it's if, bound up. Exactly. So yeah. if you uh, totally understand how to, to kind of time it that you can just chuck the car sideways and kind of slow it down that way. And by the time you're at the apex, cause there's no suspension, like you said, the chassis flexes and digs the studs in and it's, it's, it's a good time. It's, we got to do it. <laughs> yeah. We definitely have to do it. Yeah. We it's always have a to good time. It. We, uh, yeah, there was, it's, it, we've had some fun times, um, you know, in carts and spontaneous times. So what, um, yeah, with the carting, cause you've had a long carting career and successful, yeah. Do you have any good, and I don't want to say cheating stories, but I do want to say cheating stories. Do you have any good, so, so on, no, no, I'll, I'll put it a better way. Yeah. Dale Jr. puts it, 
uh, on his podcast, him and those guys, they say, do you have any good innovation, innovation stories where you guys stories. were innovative or at least ahead of the rule book? Yeah. I'm gonna, What's one you can say? Um, so everyone knows Lon loved the gray area of the book. Sure. Um, you know, when... And for people who don't know, Lon, Lon was a gold card importer. You raced for him and yeah. I raced for him at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And his, honestly, his Hondas were monstrous at the time. I got a funny one. It was, it was more of a, a way around something that there was some drama, I guess, when two track owners decided to split ways. Okay. And um, let's just say Lon was not exactly welcome at, at the track. Yep. Um, we decided that we were going to go race the first round of Ron Fellows. Um, but Which was the, the, the big regional the big, yeah. championship. Yeah. And um, the, at the time, you needed these Ontario tires. And they had uh, a sticker on the side of it. The Vegas. Yeah. And the importer would refuse, refused to sell us tires. So we were like, well, we're going to go race. Like, I don't care. Let's do this. So yep. we decided that the Ontario sticker was very easy to replicate and, um, Hey, we needed to, we needed tires. So we bought us our skid of tires and made our own little Ontario sticker and went out there and we waited all out. We, I, I was, I remember I was P3. Kyle was, I believe off pole. Pierce was in there too. And a couple of other carts and parts guys were, were in the top 10 and right before we, uh, we went out for the final, Norm Jennings comes storming down to the grid. <laughs> yeah, the tech director at the time comes storming down to the grid and looks at our tires and peels off all of our Ontario st <laughs> stickers. And we're all like, oh, crap. Here we go. <laughs> so needless to say, we, were, we weren't exactly... Uh, did you guys get DQ'd? We, we, at first, we originally did. But then after they found out why we did it. Yep. And the importer was refusing to sell his tires. Um we yeah we ended up getting it all reversed and hey people thought that we were cheating with the tires but we hey they're the same tire yeah, that everyone yeah. else bought but so they weren't actually any faster no, it wasn't anything special it like was that. nothing special it was just one of those let's try to we want to race and this is the only way to do it so let's do it yeah and we did it and we did get caught um but in the end uh you know the drivers didn't take the blame for it lon just got a little bit of a talking to and yep um, who he was beefing with at the time got a little bit of a talking to, and uh, we ended up with that. Yeah. Um, any other innovation stories? Yeah, I would yeah, some say real innovation it doesn't have to be you. So it there could is be a driver. A guy you know. <laughs> yeah, there is a driver that. Um, let's. There was that. There was power mist at the time. So there power was a, mist. Yeah, What's it was power a mist? fuel additive that would give you ten percent more horsepower. They figured out how to detect it. Um, because it would be sitting in your tank and whatever. Um, but we, I knew of a certain individual that would start the race with a syringe taped underneath his seat where the fuel line would run. Okay. And slowly inject this into his fuel lines. Wait, wait. Like a needle? A needle. Into the fuel line? Into the fuel line. Like it would a be pinhole, a pinhole? A okay. pinhole into the fuel line. And he started throughout the race would inject this straight P into push the fuel. to pass. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and this guy was pretty dominant for a while and we weren't understanding why until one driver noticed him throw something on the cool down lap. Mm. And there would always be a little bit of a leak coming out of his fuel line. 
And when they kind of put two and two together, they found the syringe and no way. And he was, yeah, he was caught and uh, figured out why he was so quick all of a sudden and was always up there. And uh, I, I was laughing my butt off because it was like, wow, that's that's ballsy. Innovative. <laughs> like, but he <laughs> yeah. would go on a track walk after, grab the needle or syringe or whatever. He wouldn't mm -hmm. leave it out there. He would always say, I went to go get it. Like, I'm not that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just, that's innovation for you. Wow. Um, there used to be another one. There's there's this thing we called it the lawn herder rule. It was a I mean, you were in that era of racing where they made us run our engines for five minutes. I on remember the grid. that because they thought guys were filling the well or guys <laughs> were nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so there was a couple people on the grid that wouldn't start their engine until they're literally leaving the grid. Like, I remember it would that. Be literally going out, start the motor. Yeah. And. Uh, same type of thing where there was fuel additives, but the carburetor of a Honda, because we didn't burn fuel so quickly, um, there would be, uh, like you, in you the could bowl. fill the bowl yeah. and it would give you three or four laps of straight of, of whatever you put in there. Yep. And I know of a couple of people that made that rule because they knew that something was up because the first two, three laps that they would check out and then slowly the field would catch to you. Well, will catch you. Yep. But you, you know, in the Honda days to break away, you needed help. Yeah. There was no way you can break away on your own. So they made this rule for the five minute rule where they made everyone idle for five minutes on the grid. Yeah. That sucked. Yeah, that was because <laughs> half the people would foul plugs. And, <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, if you did, you were like, oh, I know why this was happening. And, and yeah, yeah, it was funny. There was so many small little things that would go on that, uh, yeah, you would look back now and just be like, wow, um, there was one final fun story. Um, we were, we used to have uh, ramp racing, the ramples. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Jen and uh, Greg. Greg, yeah. And I used to race against Jen a lot. And our motors, you know, just the way Lawn built them, it wasn't anything crazy. We'd go, you know, 69, 7,000, 7,100 RPMs where rem ramp would build their engines. For some reason, they wouldn't want it going over 6,400 RPM, 6,500 RPM which is nothing yeah. for our motors. Like we can scream that all day long and nothing would happen. So we we're at Barry Grand Prix. And at this point, Jen was very quick. And I remember that race. Yeah. For those who don't know, the Barry Grand Prix was Best the race. baddest race. <laughs> Best race. Through the streets of Barry, hay bales, like old school, <laughs> old school street course, but for karting on the freaking bay. Yeah. Like and you like could, you could almost land in the water if yeah. you flipped at certain areas. And it was like it a, was the best. It was the pinnacle yeah. of like karting in it Canada. Was, it was the best. And uh, and Jen was up front and um, we knew her motor couldn't last. And remember the straightaway on that it was, was a big, long. big and long straightaway. So you were on the rev like valve floating is what we used to call it. Yep. It was just the valves can't go any faster. So they would start to float. And uh, you would be floating your valves forever because it's such a long straightaway. But because their motors didn't take the valves floating very much, we would, we could almost blow their engines up. You'd push her. On purpose. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, she was leading the race and we're like, okay, let's just push her. And she was swerving, trying to get us off her bumper because she knew what we were trying to do. And nope, one guy would sit on the outside, the other guy on the inside <laughs> and she would swerve one way, boom, boom, push, push, push. And sure as shit, five laps in, we... I've never seen a motor blow up so bad in my life. <laughs> I drove by her and the case cracked, but the, like blew up. Yep. But the head was still attached to the case somehow and it was just 
boom, boom, right, like still in motion with the connecting rod and the piston. <laughs> and there was so many parts all over the track. But like the next lap, you come by and there's just motor shrapnel everywhere, and she's just pissed, she pissed at us. You guys did that on purpose, blah blah blah. We're like, I don't know what you're talking about. We're just yeah. drafting, man. Yeah. It's four stroke. This is what we're doing. What are you talking about? Yeah, that was. Uh, we used to do that a lot, just oh, to have good. some some good times, you know. And yeah, once you know who you're driving with and racing against, you know, then it's fun. Then yeah, you know how to get around <laughs> get around certain things, I guess you can say. And yeah, that was uh, that was one of those times that we were laughing for a while after that. <laughs> that race was so good. I remember one year I won it and jumped from the podium celebration. I jumped in the in water the in yeah. my suit. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I went wake wakeboarding behind someone's jet ski or something. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It was <laughs> it was awesome. I was I actually was leading that race with the Hughes at the time. And uh, we took off and we were lapping someone. I'll, I'll keep him nameless at this point. And uh, he decided to, sp I guess, spin as we were about to lap him. And I T-boned him while I was leading. And Screwed took you. me right out of the race. Like, well, I ended up finishing fourth, but still, like, out of we were gone. Yeah. Like, gone. And Aaron won, I'm sure. Yeah, Aaron won. Yeah. Aaron ended up winning it. And pretty much I pushed him away from the whole pack. And... Um, we were we almost had the front straightaway on Evan Hayden at the time, and uh, Evan. Once I broke, there was five laps left. Well, not broke, but I crashed, and there was five laps left. And Evan caught Aaron in those five laps because he didn't have us pushing him anymore, and he was just like, <laughs> "That was like that was crazy, like that was so close." But then he ended up winning, well, like going down the back straightaway, locking it up, spinning the cart out hit the barrier backwards and went to the and it was like the beer garden was at that point remember how like all those drunk people would be over the yeah. wall like Rah! so they ended up like dumping beers into his helmet while he was sitting there <laughs> like it was good times man that was that was honestly the one of the, the best races I, I could say by far in my life like, for sure it was i wish we could still go back there it was uh it's not possible anymore because the, the parking lot's all changed in yeah. the whole downtown. But I, I, I truly think bringing back something like that would make the sport grow again. Yeah, like a cool street course. You did like an uh, exhibition race at the Toronto Indy? Yeah. So um, because Sunoco was sponsoring the Indy, we did a little promo. Mm. Um, that was another fun time. Uh, we we had row taxes at the time, uh, myself and Pierce. Um and uh, we ended up having the GT500 as the pace car. Okay. And, you know, big, heavy Mustang. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we were little go-karts. So down the straightaway all day long, the guy would just see you later. But he would break at the 500-foot marker, and we're breaking at the 100-foot marker. Did you guys pass the pace car? We, we, <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 let's just say after the first run, the guy, Paul Cook, was in the car with him. And Paul came up to us and goes, you Paul guys. Paul Cook's head of ASN, ASN Canada. Yeah, like ASN FIA, FIA. The sanctioning body <laughs> <Yeah>. guy. <laughs> so he comes up to myself and Pierce and is like, guys, you need to, don't pressure this guy because he thinks that he's going to take off on you. And he can't. Like down the straightaway, yes, he's gone. Yeah. But then as soon as the tight section of Toronto comes in, we're literally one corner on his bumper again. Yeah. And the guy was pushing with Paul in the car and he almost looped it. So <laughs> Paul is just like, guys, relax. Okay, Paul, no problem. So that was the Friday we did the first demo and then Saturday came around and obviously, you know, a couple of words are exchanged between the pace car driver and us and, you know, <laughs> we're in little go-karts. Yeah, but all right, well, we'll see what happens. And uh, went into Sunday, Saturdays um, and we were all over them in the tight stuff and then, then down the straightaway, 
take off on us again. And so he would, he, he, I guess he pushed his brake zone a little bit too hard and blew down the back straightaway, ended up going into the runoff, didn't hit anything luckily. Holy cow. And Pierce came to a stop and did the old, here you go, You're, go ahead, sir. <laughs> and let's just say he wasn't too happy with us that he did that. <laughs> we had another talking to from Paul. Yeah, that's and good. we were, um, we, we actually had to put a uh, speed limit on how fast we can go <laughs> because this and guy it's not even a race no, it's not even a race event. it's just literally we were supposed to be in a parade <laughs> like with a bunch of other kids behind us and we were just this guy started going faster and faster and faster to try to take off on us and me and pierce are like let's go whatever you funny. want man let's go that's and funny. uh yeah it was a good time we ended up uh we ended up i think we turned our our connecting rods and pistons blue because we were full throttle at top speed for so long down, down the, the straightaway. Straight yeah. Such a long oh, straightaway yeah. down Lakeshore. Yeah, like the whole time. So we had the lowest gear possible we can put on the thing. And we ended up hitting, it was like over 80 mile an hour in a, in in a, a go-kart. Yeah, that's yeah. a half inch off the ground. <laughs> that's quick. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Have you ever run any races against like any of your heroes or like real impressive guys? The only guys I can say I've raced against that were like, holy, holy cow, um, was obviously someone like Robert Wickens. Mm. Um, you know, he's, he's one of my friends, but he's, I, I rate him as probably the best Canadian driver out there. Uh, I, I agree. I think, yeah. I think like what he did when he came to IndyCar yeah. showed everyone that he should be, he should have been in an F1 car in the end. He should have been the next uh, F1 Canadian driver. Um, you know, having him, uh, with everything that happened and, you know, it is sad to see everything like that, but it's also, just, you know, he just bounced back from, you know, I hate to say it, but I like, I was at the hospital when everything went down and the doctors told us like, there's, there's no way of him walking again. Like this is, you guys have to get used to this mm -hmm. and for him to be back in a car this year and win his, well, win his very first race back in a car just shows him like he, he's incredible like, yeah like i don't even know what to say except that guy is is one of the top drivers that i've ever had the privilege of being around and being on the same track as as yeah. him like when i would show up to a race and you know rob's running three classes and shifter dd2 and rotax senior and i'm racing against him in just the one rotax senior class and you know, when Rob was there, it was like, holy crap, I got to be on my, on my game because Rob's here, you know, yeah. Rob, Rob was one of the, the top drivers when we were coming up and, um, you know, having him around and, and becoming closer as we got older, mm -hmm. um, you know, we were friends, we knew of each other back in carts, but we weren't really close or anything until later on in life. And, um, you know, looking back now and, 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 you know, being around someone, sorry to say with that greatness of of their sport and showing his dedication and and how hard he works at it and i've learned so much off of him just by being around him at the racetrack of mm. like how you should go about your day and and what you know some of the things i teach kids are from rob mm. you know and to be that influential when you're not even that really big in the sport, like until he was in IndyCar and he was running DTM. So DTM He's just kind of over, over in Europe doing his thing, but yeah. Yeah. it's not like the races were televised in the no. States or no. And he, Canada. and if you look at his DTM career, he was, 
he wasn't even he, so he won GP two like the championship underneath F one, mm-hmm. and still didn't get the ride in F one because of obviously money situations. Um, would go to he went to the junior test for for F one was like put the Marusha, which was a car that didn't even finish last, <laughs> and he put it you know in a decent position and ahead of people, and they were like, holy crap, like this this kid's good. Um, when he did those tests and everything, everyone kind of was like, this kid should be an F1. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a Nick DeVries situation that's going on right now where he should be an F1, but he's not. Um, no one took Rob and David Coulthard ended up being like, hey, like if no one's going to take this guy, I'll take him to our DTM team. Sure. They put him in the number three team. Like there's three Mercedes teams at the time. They put him in the number three team, number six car. And he was like top five in the thing. And they're like, this that shouldn't be that's mm-hmm. like you know that's uh you know uh, like mercedes give it it's like mercedes has their their team and then there's the williams team yeah and it's like williams podium all the time with that car and it's like this isn't right that shouldn't be how it is and um so they're like okay let's just upgrade put him in a number two car and he's winning races in that thing like yeah. a number two team not even a number one team yet and then finally they're like okay this kid deserves to be in the number one team and he battled for championships and he he lost the championship in the final round yeah um and you know with european racing it's it's very cutthroat um, oh for sure like very cutthroat like if you don't start the season off you don't have everything um so when he was pascal War- well, wareheim's teammate um he didn't start the season strong had a couple of like accidents, obviously it happens. And because of that, it's, everything goes into Pascal. So like, mm. if there's only one good wing, one driver, yeah, he yeah. gets it. If there's I only see. one splitter, he gets it. Mm. And you know, he still finished in the top five of that championship, not having the top and, and Pascal won the championship. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just shows, you know, in, in that world, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, if you're winning the championship, you have a chance, but yeah. if not, the team's not gonna, to give you everything because there's gonna be the team mate that needs everything to win the championship right Right. so after the first three rounds they decide who's going in for the championship and pascal was leading at that time and Mm -hmm. he got the he got everything but you know and then he made the decision to to kind of come about come over to indycar um him and james obviously had that talk for a, a couple of years and he ended up coming over to IndyCar and almost won his very first race in IndyCar. Well, he put it on the pole, right? He put it on pole and Rossi took him out with two laps to go. And yeah, would have won. Yeah, we were there. <laughs> and then freaking backed it up on the ovals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and a lot of the drivers you can see now, like even Jimmy Johnson, who's well, an oval guy, yeah. struggles in that car Dude, on the ovals. Struggles. And, you it's know, scary. It is. The, those cars are fast. They're two, they average 220 mile an hour on average yeah. on, an old, on a super speedway. And it's insane. That's, that's it's ridiculous. It's too fast it for is. me. It is too fast. Yeah. I, I say that all the time. I'm like, you know, IndyCar is fine. Indianapolis, they have to go to just because of the heritage. Fine. Make that track. Totally. Or whatever. It's yep. fine. It's, it's for a super speedway. It's pretty safe mm-hmm. because of how the whole thing is spread out with the turns and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's pretty in quotations safer yeah, safe for, as it than other be. ones. Yeah. Um, but you go to something like Las Vegas like where it's, or, yeah, or Texas, where it's constant full throttle on a corner guys are racing in a pack like NASCAR. Yeah. That's when it gets dangerous. And you know, there's certain tracks that I don't, think IndyCar should be at 
I don't think they should be going into any ovals outside of a, a one, one and a half mile oval. Mm. Um, you know, keep the average speed under 100, 100, well, under 200, 200 for sure. Yeah. Make it like 180, 190 mile an hour. And even as a fairly savvy fan like yeah. myself, I don't care if they're going 220 or 185. No. I'd rather them go in 185 in a pack of like 30 of them. Yeah. And, you know, when they hit the wall, they hit the wall. Nothing's crazy. But when you're at super speedways and stuff goes wrong, it's mm -hmm. it's gnarly, man. Like it is dangerous to say yeah. the least. And, you know, people are like, well, it's what the fans want. No, the fans no, the fans don't want people getting hurt. They just want close racing. And if you put a, if you put them on a one-mile oval like, like Phoenix or something like that, it's still a really good race. Mm -hmm. They're all bumper to bumper still. It's just... Yeah, it is no, that's a good is. point. Do you do you think uh, Robbie going to IndyCar um, kind of showed a lot of those guys in Europe that that's a viable thing to do? And like, you, there's more and more guys now doing it. Yeah, I I think so. I think um, you know seeing Rob transition so well into the IndyCar mm -hmm. definitely helped the the Europeans from being like, okay, well, you know, this isn't a deadbeat series. This is an actual series. It's a good series. Mm -hmm. The cars are, it's a spec car with a, with two spec aero packages, one yeah. with the Chevy, one with the Honda. So, cause IndyCar is not like Formula One where it's just one, one manufacturer, yeah. the second manufacturers, you know, third and fourth, yeah. one, two, no, they're the same car and you can't do it's, much different. You could mean you can go buy a car today and go race against Ganassi. Yeah. Like, and it's the exact same car that Ganassi has to what we have. That's cool. And, and that's why I think what's saved IndyCar mm. at this point um they had the first you know the the first spec car that they had wasn't very good racing wise um and then this new the new uh, Delaris came out and it showed that you know a spec chassis and a spec aero package is going to help a lot yeah there's two different manufacturers for the aero packages but really and truly they're not crazy different mm -hmm. um it's just a way to to show some sort of you know diversity i guess sure sure and look if you were able to race any form of racing and you're probably biased obviously we all are <laughs> uh and it to be considered the highest level of racing yeah what would you do like because obviously like you, you know oh, okay i'll race f1 because yeah. it's the highest level or nascar cup i think a lot of guys yeah. are there because it's the highest level, but yep. maybe they're not going to enjoy it as much. Yeah. What would be your answer as far as the form of racing? The like if you could be considered world champion in lawnmower racing yeah. or something. I honestly love prototypes. Like okay. I love the, how. Like what kind of prototypes? Like, like, like P1s, P2s, LMP3s. Okay. Like the, the cars that are built to be aero Mm. like full aero cars like that you can corner faster than an f1 car you just don't have the power like an f1 car okay and i'm and i think that whole series of like the races you get to do of Le Mans and daytona and you know sebring or or nurburgring all these these crazy tracks that you get to go to and compete and you know what i would i would love to be able to do is to have you know a team full of my friends <laughs> that's like all right let's go let's yeah. go race lamar this weekend and and i think that would be you know i, I always love the the open wheel stuff obviously f1 would be a, a cool thing to do um i just don't like how how car dependent that series mm -hmm. is at times uh the hopefully the new rules package is going to help a lot um but i I would say, you know, that, or even I would, I would love to just go race some shifters. 
like go race a nice old kz125 and have at her like i think that would be really really fun to do and you know every time i drive one it's i still come off smiling and i i think if we could make that the pinnacle of racing and say that that's you're the world champion of karting that would be, <laughs> that pretty, would be damn pretty cool, cool. yeah <laughs> but, so if you because i asked i asked um ron this question ron yeah. fellows i said ron okay you know he's pretty he's an ad, advocate for trying to get more kids out of karting into cars yeah obviously he runs a series a karting series now yeah when we were growing up he did the karting series yeah. um if you had a magic wand what kind of series would you create for getting kids kind of out of karting and creating that first stepping stone? And like, what would be the ingredients? Um, I honestly think the, I think the F4 car is a really good car for kids to learn in. What, what's that? Um, it's a formula, it's formula four. It's a U.S. Um, there's a U.S. and a European car. I think Abarth makes the U, uh, the UK car. So like a low downforce, very open low car. Yeah. Very okay. low downforce. Um, the arrow doesn't like it helps, but it doesn't, it's mm -hmm. not like the be all and end all. Um, they have a, a slick that they race on not a ton of horsepower, but enough horsepower for, you know, you can get really close racing. Um, I really do think that that's probably the best step in stone right now for the kids. Um, if I could, if I could, if we didn't have any, the problem is, is the budgets now, right? Everyone, like if you look at the, what the budgets are to start racing cars, there's no way the average guy can no way. Yeah. Like it's, it's more than what an average salary is nowadays. And, and you know, you look at it, it's kind of, it's the thing that hurts our sport the most because I always say the best race car driver in the world will never be discovered. Sure. They're sitting at home on Gran Turismo or iRacing right now, and they're just having some fun with their buddies, but they just can't afford to do our sport. Mm -hmm. um, if I could and have a magic wand, I would have probably five spots in Cardin that's just like, okay, you can't afford it. Here you go, fully expense paid rides. Mm. You just come race, but you have to do the shootout. You have to do a stuff to, to show that you have the talent. Yep. And then if, if I could have a magic wand, I would do the USF four stuff, um, have a full paid ride for someone out of car to go do yeah. that. And then, you know, at least that gives them a chance. Cause if you win USF four, you get a good, a little, uh, a good per, a uh, good purse to, mm. uh, to go race another series. Yep. Um, but ideally I would, I would put them into the, 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 the uh, Indy, the road to Indy. Sure. Um, just because the USF, you know, that's the series where if you win and you're actually good, you know, you win your USF 2000 championship, you get a full ride in pro Indy. And okay. if you win your pro Indy championship, you get a full ride in Indy lights. I didn't know that. Yeah. Full paid everything. Really? Yeah. But and you got pays for that. The series The series pays for it. Wow. And then if you win Indy lights, you get three races in IndyCar. One no of them has way. to be the Indy 500. Yeah. No way. So it usually ends up being the first three races. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So like, that's why if I could m magically wave a wand, it would be a full season of F4 and a full season of USF that they get paid for. Yeah. And it's like, Hey, you got to this point. Now it's up to you to perform and take it the rest of the way. So if you are top of the top of the heap, you can, you can get, you can the get way. the, at least get the eyeballs on you. Yeah. You can get the opportunity. All rescue did this, did that. Wow. Won every championship leading up to the, all the way to IndyCar. And that's how we got there. Hmm. Kyle Kirkwood, same thing. 
And I guess, um, oh, I'm blanking on the name. That's why, um, who's the, uh, the kid who came back now to Indy Lights? He just won the race. His, his dad's a legend. Um, um uh, Brabham. Brabham. Yep. Yeah. So that's why he's back in Indy Lights. Yeah. Because he's got the opportunity he's, to... Exactly. To win to, the championship, get to IndyCar. Interesting. So that's why, you know, racing in Europe, it's very, very cutthroat like who cares oh. if you win the championship here here's it's still another 500,000 euro to go do this yeah at least in North America there is some sort of help right if you are that raw talent and you can afford to pay for a, a USF 2000 ride for a season you have a chance to make it mm. but once we lost tobacco and alcohol advertising and stuff like that we lost those big sponsors to support those guys like like when Schumacher didn't have money to get anywhere. Yeah. The team had a big sponsor yep. and put him in the car. Right. Now teams have the sponsor, but they don't, they look at it as that's running costs for them. They're not looking at it as let's put the fastest kid in the car. Mm-hmm. They want a kid that can bring money and it's a business. It, it is. just is what it is. It and is. and nowadays, you know, you look at it, it's not, it's, it's certainly not mutually exclusive. And sometimes the kids with the money, have had the best equipment, the best coaches all the way up. Yep. You know, you look at a guy like Stroll or Latifi, yep. Yep. they're there, they're, and they're there for a reason. They can yep. wheel cars and they had the bring, money. They had the money. Yeah. That's the big part of it. Now it's the wheel in the car. People say, well, we can teach them how to do that. Mm-hmm. There's no raw talent of like this kid. Like I see it all the time in carts where there's a kid that shows up, hasn't like never driven there's a kid named Ethan Sigma, never driven anything in his life, doesn't even watch racing, doesn't know anything about it. Because of the COVID situation, all the other sports, he's a hockey player, okay. was canceled. Okay. So his friend, the race is for us, and he's like, come do the arrive and drive. Mm-hmm. So we came, did the coaching, and Richard called me right away after this kid was in a cart, and he's like, this kid's good. I was like, oh, really? I'm like, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. And he's like, no, seriously, like, we're putting him in a cart this year. I'm like, okay. We throw him into his first cadet race. Yep. And he's, oh, so he's young. Yeah, he's young. He's yep. nine or 10 at the time. Mm-hmm. He's 10 at the time. We threw him in the first cadet race. He podiumed right away. Very first race. Doesn't even know anything about motorsport. Doesn't know what he's doing. Like, so he, the next race, he was leading. And um, last lap, uh, the kid got by him. And then the kid blocked. Yep. He was so confused. He just drove down. He just drove the regular racing line. and was like, why is that kid over there? And like, he had no idea what was going on. He he got beat again. So he comes off the track. I'm like, Ethan, how confused were you when he did that? He goes, what was he doing? I'm like, that's called blocking. (laughs) That's just blocking. The the kid's there to, to defend and explain everything to him. And he's like, oh, that makes sense. I'm like, yeah. He's like, I had no idea what was going on. I was like, what an idiot. Why is he driving down there? Like, what's going on? Like, totally green to this kid so then the next season that was like the last two races of the year he ended up winning one of the races because he took off and and thinking just third race he ended up winning yep so we put him into another cart this year uh class up in junior light and he finished second in the championship at fellows he finished second or third in the club championship and he, he only lost the junior light championship in the final round of fellows. Like it was like the final race he had to. So he's now a, a, a racer. Yeah. He's a racer now. And he's going to continue on. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, yeah. uh, again, his, um, not to put business out, but he's a single mom. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. So it's, it's really expensive for her it's to an, do stuff yeah. like that. And we're helping him out as much as we can yeah. 
to to keep him in the sport but the mom's still you know she's yeah. a single mom on her own so do you think do you think the how good simulators have gotten yeah. do you think that gives kids an opportunity i i think so i'm a big sim advocate like i i really think that because you can can you like and i don't know enough like i've got a simulator yeah. and i run around at most port and i do the odd oval race and stuff to yeah. get ready for the season but can you make a living on iRacing? You can. It's crazy now. Um, a lot of manufacturers are actually, like, if you look at the F1 teams, they all have a sim team. Like, two fully paid six-figure drivers that are racing for them in the sim. Okay. So, and they race for, they're like Ferrari-contracted drivers. And Mercedes... Formula One. Yeah, Formula One. Con like, they're on the same sim that say Lewis Hamilton's on or, or Leclerc or any of their drivers, they're on the same sim testing and driving and doing all that. And they're paid to race a sim. There's a Formula One eSports championship and they are, there's 20 guys that are racing for the factory to win that eSports championship. And is that, I guess there's advertising money there. Yes. And the cost is low because they need to have the sim anyways. Yes. And are they, are they just seeing it as a, like the teams are seeing it as a benefit to have yeah, because those guys keep running They also it? have um, that agreement with, uh, with the F1 gaming system. I forget which company makes it. I think it's Activision. The F, you mean like for Xbox and PlayStation? Yeah, exactly. So because they have that, they, um, the, like F1 is kind of being like, okay, in the off season, how can we still have our viewers engaged in our season? Mm. And then, then they do the off season is when they do the esports championship. Okay. So then now each team like like um, like Mercedes and Ferrari and all of them, they all have their own packages that they race with. So PlayStation has an agreement with Fanatec, so they all have to have a Fanatec wheel, base, and pedals. Okay. So they're all on the same pedals and stuff. But then some of them are sponsored by SimLab. Some of them are sponsored by, you know, different cockpit manufacturers. So then those manufacturers will sponsor the team and give those guys cockpits. So then Fanatec sponsors them the, the gear and then the cockpits and everything else around them is sponsored by one of their crazy. Yeah. And then even in NASCAR, they're starting to do the same thing. Yeah. There's IndyCar. like an eSports yeah. NASCAR. I saw, and yeah. I saw some kid, a Canadian kid one, like a yeah. kid from Nova Scotia yeah, or Nova something. Nova Scotia kid one. Yeah. That's and great. It's, it's wild. Like these iRacing is very NASCAR related. So like they, for they're sure. very NASCAR related. They're, yep. they're, they're all over in like how many NASCARs like yeah. in the cup series. Yeah. Right. So, you know, when they see, um, stuff like that, where there's, you know, at any point on iRacing, there's probably 20, 30,000 people online playing. Hmm. So when they see that type of advertising, that it's just like, here, I can just be on a, f a page and every day someone turns on their system and it's 30,000 people that are going to turn on their system. And real fans. And yeah, exactly. Because they're paying for a subscription of iRacing. iRacing, I think is for track wise, the closest thing you so can So explain be. to people what iRacing is. So iRacing is just the online company, uh, a company that's online that provides all of the servers and every, tracks and all that stuff. And they, they like laser scan they, each track. Yeah, they're within, uh, I, say, I think it's within a foot of everything. Wow. So like when, um, when I'm going somewhere to go race and I haven't driven there in a while, I'll go on iRacing and lap for a week just to get used to everything. And and the only thing you have to get used to when you go to the track, it's like your reference points and everything are there because they use the tree. Like in Virginia with Oak Tree, like they have the tree there. Um, at Montreal with the orange stripes on the side of the wall where you use those reference points are 
are there. Like they laser scan the track to within inches mm-hmm. and it's like every bump, nick, cranny, everything is on that track. Like, um, where something like a set of Corsa or one of those other manufacturers, um, they're, they're engineers. These are take, other software. Yeah. There's, okay. there's so other like companies that are, are, are competitors to iRacing. Okay. Um, you know, there's our factor and a set of course are pretty much the two that are their competitors, but they are based off of in like, say a computer engineer takes the data from your car mm-hmm. and builds the track from that. Oh, so it doesn't exactly get the feel out of the track because it's going off of how the car is reacting to the track. Right. And then it uses like Google view and stuff like that to take what the track layout looks like. And then it will take the elevation and then they'll punch in a bunch of calculations. And then this is what the track should be. Mm. It's not exactly what the track so should be. So not like iRacing where and they go out there yeah. and walk the track with whatever, whatever equipment. drive the track with all their laser scanning equipment. And, and I saw them do Mosport. and it's like, they sit on the corners, scan everything to every elevation, every part, and it's like you're driving the track hmm. and it's it's that's why i like like uh i racing a lot more because the tracks are 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 very detailed they went into making sure the track is the best thing it could possibly be mm-hmm. where someone like a set of corsa it's all about graphics like the cars are incredible graphics like you see everything to but the, who cares you're, you're in the car yeah exactly yeah. right um our factor is kind of a mix in between, um, but that's the same type of thing. Our factor does it off of engineers. Right. Um, the car dynamics is pretty good on our, our factor as well. Mm. Um, it's kind of like a split between iRacing and Assetto Corsa, but for servers and everyone racing and being online for with proper people, iRacing's yep. definitely the best way to go. Yeah, it's 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 funny because it's like everyone's so serious about it, yeah. and I'm like. I'm so, I'm so not serious yeah. <laughs> and I get on there and I'm like, this is just a video game. Yeah. And for some people it's their it's, Saturday night race. This is it. This yeah. is like, the, there's so many different series now that are, are online and you can have a sponsored team. And like uh, a couple of my buddies are part of teams that are, are sponsored and they have their own liveries and like they race at certain, certain championships. And it's like, there's social media with them. There's everything with them. And it's, it's pretty unreal how much the, the simulation world has, has grown mm-hmm. and has made the, the industry grow a lot more too, because now all of a sudden you can be on iRacing and you know, you can see how driving is and mm-hmm. if you can do it and if you're fast and stuff like that. And then there's people that have gone from iRacing championships into cars and won championships in cars too. So yeah, big, like big sim drivers. I think, um, I think it's William Byron, who was yes. a big sim yeah, guy yeah, yeah, when yeah, he yeah. was younger. Yeah. And, and then like now he races in ALMS. No, no, no. William Byron in uh, Hendrix in the 20, oh, Hendrix 24 car. car. Oh, okay. 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 I yeah, thought it was. Cup. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, I, I see that all like you yeah. see it every year. There's... Like if you're fast on the sim, you know, you might have some adjustments to make, but you're going to be fast. Yeah. Like you, you yeah. have at least some feel emotions. Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah. And then that's the biggest thing when you see people go from iRacing to a car, it's just, they have to get used to that. Like our hips feeling everything mm-hmm. and the difference between a sim and, and a real life car is you don't have that hip feel. It's, it's the all visual. The, it's visual and hands. Right. And so it comes, you get all the feedback through the wheel. Right. So like when you start feeling that dead well, zone, maybe, start maybe to if create, you have a fancy wheel, yeah. I, don't, <laughs> I well, don't think I get the feedback in no, my wheel. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, I would say you need a little bit of an upgrade. Let's just leave your sim alone. Uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, uh, when you drive my sim, yeah, yeah, okay. it's like, you know, you yeah, it's start not to, in your ass. No, it's all in my hands. Like, mm-hmm. I can feel when I start turning in and if the back end's starting to come loose, you feel the force starting to, to loosen up on the wheel mm. as you're turning in and you're like, oh, the back end's coming and you can get the visual of the so back. So that's why you say that I need a new wheel? Yeah, because okay. you feel it. That's what I tell everyone. Like, um, I have a, a Simu Cube one. Um, it was the first version of it, but it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, and... The biggest thing about a direct drive wheel is that you have, it's a lot easier to save the car because you're not so far right. behind, you know, with, right. with a wheel yeah, that you dude, have. I'm like, all the time I'm like, I'll drive like a super late model at like a little oval and it's just like, it's, it's loose as shit. It's yeah, undriveable. It's undriveable. I can't catch it. Because there's a dead zone with those wheels mm-hmm. that you have, right? So okay. like when you get to the center, there's like five centimeters, say, of where a dead zone where it doesn't do anything. Right. So when you're correct in something you have that dead zone that you kind of get to okay. and you're like hold on why is it oh and then it just snaps on you because there's no input for those five centimeters of a dead zone where a direct drive wheel has every nick every millimeter of movement on that wheel mm. is put through the shaft okay so i'll make the investment I'll yeah the it's investment. once you do it it's yeah. everyone that, that gets it they're like what was i driving lauren's gonna hate you for that yeah sorry <laughs> lauren go into the cave yeah, yeah. i tell you. her i tell her because i've got i've got so now I've got the simulator set up and I finally got a new screen since yeah. 2007. I've got, <laughs> it's, it's a curved screen. Was so it the big square box? It was, dude, it, was, it was small. It was so bad. And it was like up on a Kleenex box. Yeah, to perfect. Right yeah. The fact that a Kleenex box can hold the screen, that just tells you right there. So I've got that now. And now, now because I got into uh, bicycle riding, so yeah. now, then I've got the trainer beside it. <laughs> so I tell her, I'm like, I'm just going into the metaverse for a couple of hours. <laughs> I'm gonna go have a meeting in the yeah, metaverse. The virtual me ride my bike and virtual race yeah, my car. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good, man. It's honestly the sim stuff is is grown so much, and I think it's definitely helped our sport grow for sure. Yeah. So the other thing that's definitely helped um, racing is the Netflix series, yes. the Drive to Survive. I yeah. saw that the Abu Dhabi was the last race of the yeah. season. Yeah, I saw their viewership was 108 million viewers for that race alone and the super bowl this year was 101 million viewers yeah, yeah. it's crazy seven million more people watched the formula one race than the super, super bowl. bowl yeah um you started a podcast or yeah. uh, discussing f- formula one season probably yeah. probably just before drive to survive came out or yeah, something so you're was, riding the wave of yeah, popularity we are we are it's actually uh, crazy to think about how many more how many people are actually listening to that thing but uh, it's it's actually a lot of fun. I do it with um, Dames Nellis, who's uh, one of the Virgin Radio DJs. Okay, um, Virgin Radio is a Toronto. Yeah, they're they're actually around North station? America. Okay, they they have a spot in Vancouver, Toronto, LA, a couple a bunch of them. You know, like Virgin, Virgin. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like it's actual their radio stations. Um, he is the five o'clock guy that's on the radio, and he actually races for us. Oh, cool. So we. Um, when we were at the shop, he would always come by on Monday or Tuesdays after the race just to kind of shoot the shit about everything and, and see what your take was. Yeah, and we were like, <laughs> and we always had a, like an in-depth conversation about it. And, and right. finally, he's like, "Why don't we just film this?" Like, I'm like, "Sure, man. Like, I'm I'm down for it." So we started to film them and started to post them, and 
apparently people think we know what we're talking about and uh yeah it's growing it's called another race weekend um okay. it's uh it's working out really well we're going into season two now nice um yeah we've we've our last couple of uh casts were you know probably a couple thousand people were, were viewing good. them and stuff like that and you know, it's, it's just something that we just decided to do just because just for fun. Yeah. And Dude, he, just like this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just like this, just to have some fun doing it. And, um, you know, I've become, you know, in the past probably five to 10 years, I've really become like an avid, like a really F1 good F1 fan. fan, I guess you can say sure. a really big F1 fan. Um, I, you know, I grew up watching it and I, I know a lot about it, but you know, as you get older, you start understanding what the cars were like and mm. the, the, you know, the upgrades and designs and stuff like that, that they used to have. And then, you know, from the V12 to V10 to V8, you know, the V6 era now. And it's, it's just crazy to, to think about what those guys used to drive in the seventies and eighties and, and to the cars now that are like, look what Grosjean survived last Insane. year. Like if you saw that five years ago, everyone yeah yeah he's done like yeah. that's it and now with the halo and how safe these cars are it's just incredible to see the safety side of things and then you know understanding a little bit more as you get older about what the cars can actually go through and um you know the difference between the cars and what their design is you know like with mercedes and and red bull this year they had two totally opposite designed cars and they were both competitive one was a high rate car one was a low rate car yeah and to get cars on the opposite spectrum to be competitive against each other it's just it's incredible to show the engineering that's gone into these cars and and you know being able to to kind of bring some of my schooling into it and 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 expertise and in racing. yeah and yeah. expertise in racing and and seeing you know the small things here and there that you can see that separates max and lewis from the rest yeah and you know pointing them out to people and they're like oh yeah i never really thought about that stuff you just you know I always love talking about racing and like yeah. we always talk about racing and being able to start something like that and actually have some success. I'm, I'm pretty good. happy. Yeah. No, that's great. You guys should definitely keep doing it. Cause yeah. I mean, I see it like I'll go to a party, see someone from high school, a girl from high school that I haven't seen. And she'll, she'll say, Oh, did you, did you catch second practice yeah. yesterday? what yeah yeah they're in they're at spa this weekend uh, yeah <laughs> and it's like what are you i i have so many i always say now they're all drive to survive experts <laughs> because you know like you said it's it's made our sport grow like crazy and having a, a netflix series that makes it drama based yep it's good like it's the best thing for it yes some of the stuff is made for, for TV. tv yes you know Max doesn't exactly like it because they portray him to be what yeah, he is. He's just a typical race yeah, car driver. He's, that's what I mean. They're portraying him to be what he is and he doesn't like seeing what he's like. <laughs> so, you know, when he's like, I'm not going to be on drive to survive this year, it's like, yeah, because they're calling you out and showing like, they're not making up footage. No, the footage is there and they creatively make it look the way it is. <laughs> yeah. So don't give them the footage. Yeah. <laughs> you won't have this. I didn't know. So I didn't know he was having a stink about, Oh yeah. He doesn't want to be he's, on it. He's supposedly not on it this year, but he won the championship. So I, please, I highly doubt that that's going to be the option. You'd like think some issue. sponsors would say otherwise. Yeah. Especially Red Bull. Yeah. Like, so I, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's definitely uh, great for our sport to see this. Another series made for TV, and yeah. I don't want to say that in a derogatory way. Yeah. 
the SRX series. Did yes. you follow that at all? Yes, I did. What do you I think did. of that? Honestly, the first race was, it was kind of confusing to see what they were actually doing. Like it was like, oh, so they will race one-on-one -on -one against each other. But then like next race, it's like there's four of them on the track and it's like. Yeah, they did like heats and stuff. I yeah. didn't follow it like super closely, but what's cool is you see all the names in it. Yeah. Like Loeb and, and yeah, like well, Bobby Labonte, yeah. Paul Tracy's yeah. in it. And now, now this, uh, is it Ryan Hunter Ray's going to run? Yep. And like he's with uh, Castro Nevis and, and the like, team owners, like Rossberg's a team owner. Yeah. And, um, same with Lewis. No, 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 not the ever. No, the, no, you're talking about, the, I'm talking about the X X what's it called? The electric series that they're running and oh, thing. Oh, okay. You're we talking were, about we were rally cross. A big miss. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm talking about. Um, you've got to look it up. It's interesting. It's it's called the SRX series, and it was uh, Ray Everingham started it, and like Tony Stewart. It's that spec series that spec they series yeah, made yeah, for yeah. TV. Yes. Yeah. I remember that now. Yes. And they ran like mostly little ovals. Yep. And a couple dirt races. Yeah. And it was. But like, if someone got too far ahead, they'd throw the caution. They'd throw the caution. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember this now. Yes, yes, yes. I was thinking the, the, what's it called again? It's like X something series. Extreme X or something like that? Or, I don't even or like, know. It's like that. So they made a full series that travels around to um, different countries that are, I guess, being affected by global warming. Okay. And they run a series where if they go to a location, they have to be able to go there, race and leave without change in any carbon footprint whatsoever so all the electric vehicles okay. all of them are all of the the pits and everything are run by batteries and sounds questionable but we'll leave that yeah, out that's just, <laughs> i know all this battery stuff and it's like yeah it's better for the world well how like, yeah whatever we'll yeah. leave that out yeah but it's that's um nico rosberg owns a team oh, hamilton okay. owns a team sebastian Loeb races in it oh. um uh what's his name um pre not pre signs his dad races in it and then oh. all the, the team has to be a male and female. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So then, uh, yeah, that's that's what okay, I was okay. thinking you were talking about. Well, so then. there's so clearly there's more and more yeah, series, series coming out that are that should and I think should be made for TV. Yep. Like that's what made racing popular. Yep. For people who weren't just hardcore enthusiasts. Yeah. 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 That SR. I remember. I know the SRX cars now, and they're like. Uh, how do I explain them? Yeah. They're like, they're stock cars, yeah. but with like a wing at the back. Yeah. And, and like a weird got, swoop to the front of it. Yeah. 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 Like Chase Elliott ran one. Paul Tracy's, I think he hit everyone in the entire series. <laughs> <laughs> but, That's awesome. But I think it's good. Like those, those series made for TV. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's, it's got them, you know, there's gotta be some aspect to keep the, everyone in, involved, you know, and, the problem with F1 throughout the 90s, there was a Schumacher dominant era. In the late, well, uh, yeah. I guess late, late 90s, 90s yeah. early 2000s. Yeah. And, you know, when when he was winning, you know, 15 of 20 races, it's kind of like, oh. Well, that was when I was little. And I remember asking my dad, I said, will he ever not win a championship? Yeah. Like, it's like, it'll change eventually. Yeah, sooner or later. But yeah, it's it's wild. It's, it's good. Like seeing these, all these series that they're, like you said, they're trying to build for TV. They're making sure that even NASCAR is kind of built for TV now. For like, sure. Like with this green, white checkers or the, I think the green, green, white checkers should be implemented in every, every race, race series. Yeah. If you end the race under a caution behind the pace car, yeah. it's not good it's for not the fans. Good. It's not good. Yeah. It's not good for the fans. I think, you know, to bring up the, the Abu Dhabi race with the last race, the last race it was, you know, all they had to do was red flag it, put everyone on super softs or softs or whatever. Yep. 
And it would have been the greatest finish ever. Yeah. But they don't have that versatility. Yeah. Whereas NASCAR does. NASCAR can say, these are the rules today. Yeah, today. Well, if you look at what Michael Massey was doing, it's like, that's the rule for today. Yep. And and that's always the way series have to run. Yeah. They have to have a dictator who's going to dictate. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, hey, nothing against Michael Massey. Like he, he's got a, he had a stressful job and, you know, no one's going to always be, they're not going to be happy. Not everyone's going to be happy with your decisions. But when you have a decision that is being influenced by the guy that is in the championship hunt, you should just turn those two radios off and be like, don't even listen to them. For sure. And, and he did listen to the one which kind of catered to that championship and, Really and truly, yeah, his job is gone now because of it, but it is what it is. It's a hard job. <laughs> Shit happens. Worked out for the sport. Yeah, worked out for the sport. Like, everyone can't wait for this championship this year because they don't know what's going to happen. I think, you know, going to the end of the season last year, Max had Lewis kind of by the balls. It's like, mm-hmm. we crash out. I don't care. Go ahead. Yep. Like, I crash, you crash, you won't get points, I don't get points, and I still lead this championship where now that they're going to start, from scratch, I think you'll see Lewis like going at Max, yeah. like not caring. He's just going to be like, oh yeah, you want to crash? Fine. Let's crash. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. start of the season now. No one has this. We'll yeah. make this up later. You want to crash? Let's crash. <laughs> oh, that'll be good. I can't wait. Yeah. It's going to be good. Wait. Yeah. Um, I got one more question for you. Go ahead. You've got a young daughter now. Yeah. When is she going to start racing and what's your game plan for her? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone always says, Oh, Isla's going to be in carts. She's going to be in carts. I am, um, you know, I'm or whatever she wants. Yeah. I'm going to let it, let it happen. Let mm-hmm. her, whatever she wants to do. I'm not going to be the guy that's like, you're going in a cart when you're three. Yeah. She never wants to get into a cart. She never wants to get into a cart. I'll, I'll support whatever she wants to do. Don't know if I want to get into dance, but <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely support her with what she wants. Um, you know, I'm not going to, my niece is racing right now too. And, and it's really cool to see her, you know, get her podium and stuff like that for the first time. And, and I think uh, with Isla, it's, you know, she watches F1 with me whenever there's cars on, like I, I watch obviously reruns and stuff like that of F1. And she's always like, Oh, Dada, Dada, like yeah. always pointing at the cars and stuff. So I think it's kind of inevitable. Um, but I'm not going to be the guy to push her. Yeah. Like you're getting in a cart right now. Like I know a couple of my buddies that have had kids and they're like, as soon as she, they can walk, I'm putting them in the cart. And it's like, yeah, I get what you're saying. You do want to, you know, kind of push them into it. But I've, I've seen it too many times where the kid starts really young. And by the time they're nine, 10 years old, they're yeah. like, I'm done. Yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. So, you know, I'm, I'm the, I'm kind of the dad that will just, Hey, if you want to go racing, yeah, let's go do it. If you don't, you want to play soccer? Sweet. I'll buy yep. brand new shin pads every single race, every single game, <laughs> every single race. Uh, every, it's definitely cheaper. Yeah, it's way cheaper. I bought new shin pads and a new soccer ball every game all day. Let's go. It's cheaper than a set of tires. Uh, that's fun. That's good. Yeah, man. Man, thanks for coming on. No problem, man. This was fun. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, man, I you're everyone everyone who goes and races in Ontario knows your name and knows yeah. who you are and like everyone has nothing but good things to say thank about you, you thank you and thank they're you. like you're a true cheerleader for the sport thank you very much thank um, you very much i i do tell, indulge in, yeah uh, in enjoying this sport <laughs> that's good and uh tell everyone where they can find you and your podcast so uh you can find me uh and your well, team you yeah got, our got team is going on. yeah our te- so my race team uh you can follow us it's pro race in ontario uh on instagram and all the social media stuff um you can follow us also at mossportcardencenter.com 
um, full arrive and drive programs, everything you need to go racing. You want to get started, we're the guys to talk to. Um, you can follow my podcast of another race weekend or ARW. Um, it's going to be on uh, all of uh, social aspects. We're on uh, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we're going to be on YouTube this year, Spotify, pretty much everything cool. that Dames wants to do. <laughs> so you can definitely follow us on another race weekend. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's pretty much it. You can just follow me all on all the social stuff. <laughs> cool. Thanks, dude. Thanks for coming on. No problem, buddy. We'll talk soon. That was Daryl Timmers. As I said to him at the end there, he's one of the most likable guys you'll encounter at the racetrack, a super helpful guy, and that's what makes him so good at his job. So be sure. That was Daryl Timmers. And as I said to him at the end there, he's one of the most likable guys at the track. He's super helpful, and that's what makes him so good at his job. If you enjoyed the podcast, please give it a rating. It helps a lot with the algorithm. See you next week. Peace.